good morning, Freedom Center Church. Of course, I had to bring Dina back out on stage again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny whenever it comes to uh, staff, because you're my mom, but you're also my boss. But I love that in this relationship, we still get to do stuff like this with each other, where we're standing on stage hugging each other, you know? <laughs> and so before we get too far, though, I want to make sure that we invite up. Freedom Center has given you guys a very, or given you for your birthday, a very special gift. And to bring the gift up is now going to be Lauren and Little Baby Wells. <laughs> so we just wanted to say thank you and I you know what's funny you guys know her as the person who stands on stage and does announcements and as the first lady of Freedom Center and all that stuff but what I'm sure you guys don't know is that she wakes up every day at 5:30 in the morning and she works out and then she comes here and she's here an hour or two before staff gets here and then she'll stick around throughout all of staff time and then she'll stay here an hour or two later and then go home and continue working and so I don't know if you guys know the amount of hours the amount of time the amount of pressure that's been put on her but I know that Freedom Center can give her the greatest thank you ever in the history. So can we just stand right now and applaud Dina Wiegand and say thank you so much for all you've done and happy birthday to you. Jimmy's always just tell everybody to sit down. <laughs> oh, we got a problem. I seen, Oh, there's my remote. Wow, what a way to start off this service. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, obviously, it is Dina's birthday, and it's weird calling her Dina and not mom, you know? Like, how many of you guys call their parents by their first name? Doesn't that just seem weird? It's like in a public setting, I'm like, Dina, but like at home, I'm like, mommy? You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, she, I have this thing with her. Anytime that I need something from her, I literally go over to her, I say, mother dearest, and I give her like a huge hug. It's my way of her knowing that I need something from her. But, of course, it is her birthday, but we also celebrated two other staff birthdays this week, and Pastor Maddie had her birthday, as well as uh, Kelly Blythe, I almost said McKay, Kelly Blythe had her birthday, and uh, my wife and I also celebrated three years of marriage and five years of dating each other this last week, so all of that is awesome. Um, Freedom Center, I am thankful for you guys. I'm excited about what we're doing. I'm excited about where we're going, all that stuff. But today, um, let's go ahead and get into the Word. Today, we have a question that we want to have answered, as well as a couple build-off questions from that. But the first question that we're going to answer as we continue on from our, our catechism series that we're in right now, Love as He Loves, our question that we're going to answer today is, what does it mean to be called into ministry? And I'm not necessarily talking about what does it mean to, to, to get called into ministry, to be a full-time pastor, to do all this stuff. I mean, what does it mean when Paul says that he was a tent maker who did ministry? If I were to tell you that uh, 13 of the 27 new books of the, or that 20, wow, sorry, slip up there. 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by a tent maker. Wouldn't that seem a little bit odd? But the reality is, is that Paul went and did ministry everywhere that he went. Everywhere that he went. The tent making was only to be able to afford the ministry that he wanted to do. So I want to talk to you guys about what does it mean to be called into ministry, as well as what is ministry? Are you, specifically you, called into ministry? And how do you become obedient to the calling on your life? 
We're going to spend a lot of time in that obedience area because a lot of what following Christ is, is not just knowing about God, but it's being obedient to the calling that he has on your life. Dina just talked about Ephesians 2.10, and we're going to be talking about that later in the service too. But there is a specific purpose with which you have been created to accomplish, and you are the only person who is capable of accomplishing the mission that God has set before you. God saw a purpose, he saw there was something that needed to be happening, and he intricately wove you in your mother's womb to have you accomplish the specific task with which he knew needed to be accomplished. And you are the only person capable of doing that. And so now let's talk about what does it mean to be called into ministry. I want us to start off with the greatest calling into ministry that there is in the Bible. Jesus himself in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is also known as the Great Commission, says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. The Great Commission is the foundation of our ministry. It is the calling to go to every corner of the globe, to speak to every person and every tribe and every tongue and every language, which there are multiple thousands of languages, and to teach them the good news of Jesus. This is our founding call. And also, I think what's important to note, too, is that these were the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. Matthew, 18, or Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the last verses of the book of Matthew, and it's the last thing of note that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven. The goal of ministry, and the way that we know it to be, is to use your gifts, what God has created you with, what is intricately a part of you, what comes naturally to you, to use your gifts to be a divine representative who serves as a bridge builder between God and humanity. That's a lot of large words. That's a lot of big words. Don't worry, we're going to be breaking down some words later today too. But I wanted us to understand that the goal of ministry is not just to hand out backpacks. The goal of ministry is not just to uh, uh, bring in funds to be able to help out with cancer research. The goal of ministry is to have God come face to face with humanity to allow people to have the decision to follow in his love and in his grace or to turn away from him. The backpack is just simply the bridge that gets built for God to be able to come face to face with humanity. There is a need with which the world has. The church comes in to provide that need, yet God comes in to meet the people. In the middle of the need, God is there and he is present. And so our responsibility in ministry is to not necessarily to lead people to Christ, but it's to be a bridge so that when people want to get to know Christ, the bridge is built and God can meet them there. We are the bridge that gets built between God and man for God to meet people. What can you do with your gifts to build a bridge for God to meet humanity? What is intricately woven inside of you that allows you to connect with humanity and to connect with God so that way God can connect with humanity in a straight line? You are the bridge builder between God and humanity. But let's talk about specifically ministry. I want us to break down what the five-fold ministry is. If you don't know what that term is, don't worry, we're about to break it down. 
It says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The first one that we're going to go into is apostle. This might be a little bit of a daunting word because it's not a common word that gets thrown around. But the best way that I can think of describing an apostle is the person who takes God with them everywhere they go and builds a community of people who love Jesus. The word apostle is actually not a biblical word. It is actually a word that was coined by the Romans. Now, apostles, what they were supposed to do was once there was a land that was taken over, the apostle would then go there and he would set up a Roman community so that way if Caesar were to ever travel to this community, it would be as if he never left Rome. The apostle goes to locations in order to create a specific area that if God were to come, it would feel as if it never left heaven. That that was a place for God and humanity to come together to worship Christ. The apostle goes there and builds that. Now let's go ahead and go on to the next one, prophet. Prophet is another fun word. Also, I just realized it also sounds like prophet with like an F. You know what I mean? <laughs> prophet. Anyways, prophet. The person who sees things that are not there yet as if they were, both in society and in a person that calls out what God has for them. A lot of people in this room are prophets without knowing that they're prophets. Tammy Cromer, is she in here right now? Has anyone had a conversation with Tammy Cromer? Can anyone like call out the prophet in her? She literally will not let you leave the room without knowing the good things that God has for you in your life. She, she will not, any conversation you have with her is a building conversation that lets you know the plans that God has for you. She will never speak an ill word over you. She will only lead you to a greater calling of what God has called you to be. That is what the prophet is designed to do. And when we see things in prophets in history, it's like, woe to you, for God will destroy your city. But what we see in the New Testament is a prophet who is being asked to call out what God has for people and society in order to build a kingdom of heaven here. Amen. That, amen, whoever said that back there. Woo, hope we have roommates to pick that up. Evangelist, that's our next one that we're going to walk into An evangelist is the person who wants as many people to know about Jesus as possible and will not stop spreading the news of salvation. These are the people who, whenever you go to Starbucks, that they're in line in front of you for five minutes because they can't let the barista go without letting them know that Jesus loves them. Right? Anybody ever experienced that person? Right? There we go. I've experienced that person where I'm like, I just want my coffee. (laughs) I swear I'll be an evangelist the second I get my coffee. Right now I don't have my coffee though, so please will you move forward so I can get my coffee. (laughs) But an evangelist will not let you go without knowing that Jesus loves you. They will track you down. They will climb mountains, which they do consistently. They will find you in open traffic, roll their windows down and go, hey, do you know Jesus? Because he loves you. That is what the evangelist does. They will not let you go without knowing that Jesus loves you. A pastor, what's funny is that oftentimes what we think about pastors is the person who stands on stage at the church or the person who you can talk to from a church. But really, a pastor's main goal is the person who gathers and protects God's people. A pastor in scripture is actually also known as a shepherd. So there are sheep, there are shepherds, and the shepherd's goal is to get the sheep into an area, provide protection for them so that way they can be sheep, right? And whenever the wolves come or the lions come or the bears come or whoever's come, the shepherd's job is to protect the sheep and not run away and leave the sheep to die. 
A pastor gathers and protects God's people. And finally, a teacher. And this one, if you know Pastor Pat, this is, a, this is a prime example of a teacher. But it's the person who can find difficult details in the Bible and make it easy for everyone to understand. There are a lot of big words. There's a lot of wording. There's a lot of stuff that gets used in Scripture that can be difficult to understand. A teacher will always come in and help you break down words into uh, the smallest form. Pastor Carl did that with us two weeks ago when he spoke, and he just made sure that everybody understood each word, which is why we're talking about that today as well. And so here's the thing. Each person that is in this room has been anointed and has been gifted with something to accomplish a mission that God created for you to do alone. I'm going to do a really dumb analogy right now, but I want everyone to understand it. You're going to think I'm really dumb whenever I bring this broom out. Oh, hey, by the way, the analogy is a broom. (laughs) So I have this broom right here, right? Everyone has seen a broom. Everyone understands what a broom is. Everyone understands how to utilize a broom, right? That's, That's what this is. What's funny, though, is that there's only one correct way to use a broom, Yet, I feel like a lot of times in life, people get stuck doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. Almost as if I had a broom in my hand that is completely capable of accomplishing a mission that it was specifically built for. But rather than me taking this guard off, or sweeper thing, I don't know, that, what do you call those, dustpans? Dustpans, there we go. Rather than me taking the dustpan off, see, and doing this, which is, you know, what should be done, we got people in the world that are doing this. They're, they're completely capable of accomplishing the mission that God has set before them, but they're not obedient to what they were created to do. This broom right here, when in my hands, is capable of cleaning this entire stage. 100%, right? It's capable of doing that. But in the wrong hands that has never seen a broom. Has anyone ever seen the movie Tangled? You guys ever seen like Tangled whenever Rapunzel gets the crown? She's like putting it on her elbow, putting it on her knee. She's like weaving her hair into it and stuff. And finally she puts it on her head. And the chameleon's like, no, you're wearing it wrong. Like that's what I feel like a lot of us do within our own personal lives is where we're capable of doing such tremendous things for the kingdom. But because we're not obedient to the purpose we were designed, we're left holding this broom upside down thinking that because we're pushing stuff around, we're doing a good job. When the reality is, is that there is power when the broom is used correctly. Today, I want to talk to you guys about being obedient to the calling that God has on your life. I forgot to change slides before I did that. So my next slide is going to look funny. How to use a broom. Matthew 9, 37 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is important. You, you, not the general you, not, not, I'm talking to you specifically. I kind of wish I could make eye contact with everybody who is in this room right now. You are called to ministry. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. When we even take a look at the title that we carry of being Christian, Christian means to either be Christ-like or it means to be a little Christ. Christ came here, sacrificed himself on a cross, so that way we could get to know God forever. 
And the whole time he was here, he healed the sick, he healed the blind, he cast out demons, he loved correctly and loved well. And when we carry the title of Christian, our goal is not just to say, yes, we like God. Our goal is to carry the title of Christ. Our goal is to be like Christ. And we cannot be like Christ unless we are doing the ministry that Christ has called us to do. Carrying the title of Christian is not just a very simple thing that we get to walk around with. And a matter of fact, it was actually a derogatory term when it first was coined because Christianity was originally called the way. Like when you look at scripture, it's called the way. But we started calling it Christianity or Christian because originally it was a derogatory term and we just liked it. So we just, we just went with it. We're like, great, we're Christians. We are little Christ. We are trying to be like Christ. And the thing that unites everybody that is in this room is that all of us are trying to look and act and behave more like Christ. And you cannot do that without a calling to ministry over your life. I just looked up at the clock and thought it was at 10.06. I was like, I am so far behind. It's actually 9.42. <laughs> Let's go ahead and take a look at some character references in the Bible. King Saul... Oftentimes, in Scripture, gets like a bad taste in the mouth. Because when you read the story of David, you see that King Saul is the enemy. But what you don't know about Saul is that all of Israel wanted Saul. There was not a last single person that looked at Saul and said, I don't want that guy. Every person that was in Israel wanted Saul, including Samuel. Let's dive into Saul, though. I feel like a lot of times whenever we start talking about ministry and are called to ministry, we shut it down because of one of any number of things. I'm not good at communicating. I'm I'm a very bad communicator, and therefore I can't tell people about Jesus. I have zero wealth, therefore I can't instill anything into the kingdom for God to build off of. I, I, don't, I don't look good, I don't smell good, I don't have a vehicle, I don't, you can go ahead and put as many things as you want to into this box that tells you that you cannot do ministry, and yet all that is, is a lie. There is zero truth that is found in the statement, I am incapable of doing ministry. Every last word in that is a lie. But let's go ahead and take a look at Saul specifically, Because I feel like Saul will help us understand how even if you had the resources at your disposal to do ministry, you may still come up short if there is no obedience that is attached to that. So when we take a look at Saul, Saul was wealthy, very wealthy. It says there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, at least I think that's how you pronounce that name, son of Zoror, son of Becheroth, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul. I don't even know my great-grandpa's name, and I have, like, the internet, so I love that the Bible gives us that much, like, reference. But it says that Saul was a wealthy man. He came from wealth. He had five generations of wealth behind him, and he himself was going to be wealthy. So finances were never going to get in the way of him being able to do ministry. Saul was the best-looking He was the Stephen Furtick of the day. He had straight teeth in a day that there were no straight teeth. I'm just making that up. 1 Samuel 9, 2 says, There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. How handsome do you have to be for the Bible to record it? 
Like the Bible thought that it was important that we knew that Saul was a good looking guy. Like, man, that dude right there, debonair, he could easily find himself on The Bachelor, no problem. He was handsome. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than all of the people. Not only was he handsome, but you could see his handsome from a mile away. That is who Saul was. Saul had the blessing of God. He was called by God. He had the blessing over him. He was anointed. And we find that here in 1 Samuel 9, 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be the prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. I want to take a look specifically at that scripture right there because it's going to come back later on in this sermon. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were the warring nation with Israel that they had been in constant battles with. And Saul was anointed to accomplish the goal of defeating the Philistines. I'm going to put a lot of emphasis on this because I want to talk about it later. Because sometimes anointing moves when we're not obedient. And the anointing that God had on your life to accomplish a goal shifts because the obedience was never present. Saul was anointed by God to defeat the Philistines. Saul had the blessing of leadership. So he has the blessing of God. He has the blessing of leadership. He has wealth. He has good looks. He's got all that stuff, right? Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over all his people, Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over the heritage. And then finally, what I want to take a look at with Saul is Saul had the blessing of all of Israel. I said this earlier. So Saul had no barriers. Saul had had absolutely everything to be obedient. There was not a single thing in Saul's life that would stop him from being obedient to God. He had public approval. He had God's approval. He had leadership's approval. He had good looks, and he had wealth. Everything that man would take a look at and say, I want that to be my leader. That person right there is capable of doing great things. I want him to lead me, my family. I am going to put all of my resources behind that person, believing that man right there is capable of it. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. And Saul became the first king over Israel. Before that, there were judges, but Saul was the very first king over all of Israel. He had instruction. He had identity. He had finances. He had the backing of his people. He had it all, every single thing. And yet, even with all of this, because he lacked obedience, he was incapable of accomplishing the anointing that God had put on his life. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
even in the midst of him trying to do something good for God, because he wasn't obedient to God, the anointing still moved. Trust me when I say the obedience is far more impactful than, than the action. The obedience is far more important than the word. Not the word as in the Bible. The word as in like spoken word between you and I. Obedience is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Being obedient to the law, obedient to the calling, obedient to Christ, obedient, all, all of it relies on obedience. Pastor Jim used this analogy last year when he was talking about Alexander the Great trying to conquer this city. And he had these, I think it was 10 soldiers, and he walked them uh, starting to walk off the edge. And one by one, they all fell off until they got down to the last five. Don't let numbers get in the way of a bad story, or get, get in the way of a good story. But he's not going to show on the last five, and then he said, Stop. And at that time, they stopped. But the first five walked off the cliff simply because they were obedient to Alexander the Great. And when we talk about Scripture, there's a portion of it that we don't necessarily like getting into, and that is that the 12 disciples that followed Christ, 11 of them were murdered. And the 12th was boiled alive in oil and then sent to an island of Patmos to die. There's an aspect of following God that is not just good feelings and grace. There is a part of it that revolves around suffering for the sake of Christ, especially in the New Testament. There's a lot of suffering that goes into that, but there is no greater life than the one that is lived in obedience to Christ. No greater life than the one that is lived in obedience to Christ. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. If he had simply been obedient, then at that point we would have had no need for David, and Saul would have been that which Israel needed, not David. But now your kingdom shall not continue. You were disobedient to the calling that God had on your life, and therefore your kingdom is over. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And at that point, while Saul was still anointed to be king, God started looking to place his anointing elsewhere. He still had the people approval. He still had the finances. He had the army. He had everything at his disposal that he would need to be a great leader. But because God's anointing was off of him, all of a sudden these nightmares rushed in on him. And all these things that that, uh, he hadn't dealt with when God's anointing was on him became prudent in his life. And it became an overcast of who he was simply because he couldn't be obedient. Which then leads us into the next person that I want to talk about, which is what happens when you are obedient, even in the absence of everything being for you. So let's take a look at King David before he was even King David. David was not going to be wealthy. He was the seventh son of a shepherd. He wasn't even worthy of walking into the room to be with his family whenever the anointing was coming around for God to anoint the next king of Israel. Wasn't even worthy. Someone had to stay out and wash the sheep. Therefore, David's going to do it. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. David did not have the blessing of leadership. You remember that at this point, Samuel is no longer in leadership over Israel, but instead Saul is now over Israel. Saul is now the king over every person that calls himself an Israelite. 
The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Saul has become a tyrant of his age and has taken over this, this kingship and has said, if anybody is to threaten my kingship, whether it be Samuel, who was the former judge, or any new person, I am going to murder them. The leadership over Israel had zero encouragement for David to ever become king. And there wasn't an Israelite at that point that wanted David to become king. We'll see that in a second. He didn't even have the blessing of his family. Like what we said earlier with David being forced to stay out and watch the sheep away from the rest of his family. Now, after David has been anointed king, he is, he is not going, he is not king yet, but he has been anointed by God to be the future king of Israel. He, he has this anointing, but still no one sees it. No one can tell that he's going to be the king. He has left it pretty much in secrecy apart from his family. And so we pick up right here shortly before David and Goliath. And it says, now Eliab, his eldest brother, so, so David's eldest brother, when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's mocking David. So at this point now, he has no Israel backing. He has no leadership backing. He's not financially secure, but he has one thing that Saul did not have. And that one thing outweighed everything that Saul did have. And that was that he was obedient to the anointing that God had placed on his life. Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. That's what his brother believed in him. They didn't see an anointed king. They didn't see the future leader of Israel. They saw a wicked-hearted little boy that wanted to witness death and gore. But that wasn't who David was. So even when his family told him no, even when Israel was telling him no, even when his finances were telling him no, he simply believed that he was anointed by God to accomplish something great. And from that anointing and obedience, he ended up becoming the greatest king that Israel had. David had one thing, and that was the blessing from God, and that was enough. First Samuel 16 says, and he sent and brought him in. This is, this is Jesse bringing his son in. So this is right when David is about to be anointed king. He says, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is where the story really picks up. Riley, you can go ahead and, and join me on stage. Thank you. I made a point earlier to say that Saul was anointed to destroy the Philistines. There was an anointing on his life that God had called him to do, but because he could not be obedient, the anointing was going to shift. And as we take a look at Saul here, Saul, full well knowing that he had the anointing, is entrenched 
on one side of a valley waiting for a battle to come. And Goliath, this gargantuan of a man, this person who stood probably somewhere in the range of 10 feet tall, who records the weight of his helmet, the weight of his spear, the weight of his armor that was on him, and just how ridiculous it was. And Saul, having the anointing of God, decided to look at the giant that was in front of him and say, that's too big, and therefore I'm overriding the giant above my anointing. I can't take on a giant that size. And as we saw, Saul was already one of the tallest people in all of Israel. It said that he stood head above everybody else. Yet he was incapable of fighting Goliath, even though he had the best weaponry, he had the best armor, he had an excellent army that was capable of this fight at any given point. And Goliath comes walking out and starts shouting these obscenities at Israel. And he makes an agreement with them. He says, if you kill me, you can be the, 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 basically we'll be your slaves. We'll be a slave unto Israel. But if I kill your champion, then at that point, at that point, you become our slaves. And so the task was too daunting for Saul. Even with the anointing, it was too daunting for him. He couldn't take it. He said, he said even though I have all the best of everything, this is an impossible task. The giant that stands in front of me, I'm incapable of defeating. So David comes. David comes, and he delivers the food to his brothers, and his brothers say, I know you. I know the evil that's in your heart. I know what you're trying to do right now. I know what's happening. You just came here to watch blood and gore. And David hears, doesn't even see Goliath. He hears the obscenities being shouted by Goliath, and something stirs inside of him, and he says, I can't take this. I know my God. I know my anointing. I know, and even when the rest of the world around me says no, I know what I have, and I'm going to be obedient to what I have. And he goes, where's Saul? He goes and he finds Saul, and Saul's in his tent, and, and David says, I want to be your champion. And Saul pretty much makes fun of him, like, you little kid, like, like 12, 13 years old, you can't do this. You're not capable of doing this. And he basically says, I know what I'm capable of. And Saul says, well, if you're going to be our champion, take all this stuff. He puts his armor on him, puts a sword on him, puts a shield on him, puts a helmet on puts everything on him. And David, taking a look at it, goes, this isn't what I need. I don't need what you have. All I need is simply what I have and what God has given to me. See, at this point, David had already murdered bears. He had already murdered lions. He had already uh, taken out things that had come to fight his sheep. And he knew what he was capable of because of the anointing that God had put on him. And so he leaves Saul's tent with a sling and goes down to a river. And he grabs five smooth stones, which is funny because I want to know why he grabbed five because he only needed one. You know what I mean? I guess sometimes you need a little bit of security. Like if you miss, like, (laughs) oh, shoot, I missed his head because it was this big, you know? And he grabs five smooth stones, and he heads down there, and Goliath sees this champion. He goes, are you kidding me? Do you not see who I am? I feel like a lot of times the enemy takes a look at you and goes, do you not see what I am? Do you not see what I'm capable of? And David goes, I don't care what you're capable of. I know what I'm called to do. I know what I'm anointed to be. And you could throw 5,000 spears at me, but you're not taking me down. You can launch an entire wave of archer's arrows at me, but you're not taking me down. 
You can rush in with 5,000 cavalry, but you're not taking me down. Because my calling is greater than any weapon that you have against me. My anointing is far superior than anything you're going to throw at me. There's not a single thing that you can do or say that will take away my obedience to God. And David stands there with Goliath staring at him. And he takes a sling. He whips it around his head. He throws the stone. The stone goes over, hits Goliath right between the eyes and sinks in. It says the Goliath falls over. And David at this point, because he doesn't have a weapon, still sees the need to kill Goliath. So he walks over and with his own weapon, cuts off Goliath's head. How many of you guys wish that in this world, not people enemies, but spiritual enemies, you could just cut their heads off? Like, don't you wish that there was just something that you could do to destroy every spiritual enemy that's against your kids? That's against your families? That's against your parents? Let me tell you real quick, Scripture does give us a sword. Scripture is the sword that we get to use to fight off every spiritual enemy that comes up against our families. David, with nothing more than five stones and an anointing, defeated the Philistines. Saul had an army. He had weaponry. He had funds. He had the approval of his people and couldn't take on Goliath. David, who had none of it, took on Goliath by himself. And because even though Saul was anointed to beat the Philistines, from an early time, he was anointed to defeat the Philistines, the anointing moved because he couldn't be obedient. What has God called you to do? What has God called you to be? What enemy are you supposed to be fighting right now that you're not? Simply because of a lack of obedience. And if you're out there in the crowd, I know you're going, Pastor J.D., I don't even know what I'm supposed to be obedient to. God's never given me a message to go fight an enemy. Can I say that the greatest place that you can start is probably in Scripture? If you want to know what you're supposed to do, it would be great if there was a manual in life, right? (laughs) The Bible is a manual for life. (laughs) It is an authority for life. It may not tell you what two plus two is, but it'll tell you how to slay giants. In 2 John 1, 6, it says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Obedience and love go hand in hand. It is impossible to love people without obedience to God. Because at that point, you're using a humanity as love. And that leads to no great purpose. So I'm going to take us back to the very beginning. What gift do you have to be a bridge builder between God and man? What has God put inside of you? What weapon do you have to slay the enemy? And some of you right now are going, I don't even know what gifts are in the Bible. That's great because I got a thing for you real quick. Everything that is up here is a gift that God has put inside of you to accomplish the mission that God has set up for you. And you may say, I don't prophesy. Great. Well, can you lend a helping hand? Because that's serving. I'm not good at teaching. Okay. Well, can you encourage the teacher? I'm not good at administration. Well, can you give up some time to go hang out with a kid that doesn't have a dad? Everything that is on this screen right here is what God does to build his church. And there is not a human being that is sitting in this room right now that does not have one to eight to all of them instilled in them from when God put them here on this earth. 
all of us in this room are capable of serving in ministry in order to build God's kingdom here through these right here. If you want scriptural backing for these, I'll give you scriptural backing for them later. But I think we went through enough scripture except for this last one that I have in front of me. I have two left, my bad. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. The biggest problems that we face in life is when we try to figure it out ourselves without going to God first. The best thing you can do in life is to continuously go to God to try and figure out what to do. My, uh, my father-in-law, by the way, doing really good. For all of you guys that know, Pastor Jim talked about it for a little bit. He got his gallbladder taken out. Apparently it was like, it wasn't just dead, it was like rotting. So it was causing him to have a lot of pain, but he's doing really good now, right? Anyways, if, if you were here, he was our children's pastor for 10 years. And before that, he sold cars. And from the time that he was 18, he always said, I wanted to own my own car lot. I want to own my own car lot, right? And so he, he, he ends up selling a whole bunch of cars. He ends up being financially secure. He does a lot of great things. And he tells even his family, he says, we're going to go on so many vacations. Now I'm finally financially secure. Like you not, we're going to buy a camper. We're going to go to all these, we're going to do all these different things. We're going to do great things. And then like two weeks later, God calls him to be a pastor here. <laughs> so he has to take his family again and go, sorry, we're not actually doing any of that. But what's funny is he comes here, he does great ministry, does excellent ministry. I'm sure a lot of your kids who are in this room were probably blessed by his ministry. But here's the thing that I want to talk about whenever it comes to his calling. You see, even whenever he was young, he still wanted to own his own car lot. It was always a dream of his. So he came here and he did full-time ministry for 10 years, but it was something inside of him. And when he left here, he went and accomplished that goal. And can I say that that man in that place, Monday through Friday, does more ministry than the majority of people that I know? You cannot enter his car lot without him praying for you. You specifically cannot buy a car from him without him praying for you. You know what I mean? And so when you say, I'm not capable of doing ministry inside of a church, that's great. Go to your workplace. You think your workplace doesn't need Jesus? You're right. Your workplace needs Jesus. And he's a prime example of the person who no matter where he goes, he's bringing Jesus with him. So what are you capable of? People used to get saved on the Ford lines where they would build cars. And now there's almost an expectation of I have to bring my friends to church to get them saved. But what about if you took that on yourself to get them saved? How much different could this world be if all of... Do you realize that if every Christian in this world who calls themselves a Christian led one person to Christ per day, it would take less than three days for every person in this world to get to know Christ? If every single Christian in this world led one Christian... I led one person to Christ per day. It'd be less than three days. And that's the call that God has on us. We are global. But yet we're so consumed with the lack rather than the anointing. Let's look at the anointing, church. Uh, Linden campus, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to you guys as well as the Grand Blanc campus and the Ponsa campus. You guys can go ahead and take it from here and uh, close out your services whatever way you want to. But... I'm going to close out this way. So, see you guys later. We talked about it earlier today. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is like our house verse. This is like the verse of Freedom Center Church. Because it's important to point out that your purpose was created before that you were. Like that God saw a need 
in this world, a specific need. And he said, in all seven, eight, nine, I don't know how many billions of people we have on this planet, not a single one is capable of doing what, I, doing what this needs to be done. And so he looked at you and he said, okay, eight billion people are not capable of doing what I've called you to do. And he created you and said, you are the only person that fits this mold, that fits this area, that can accomplish this goal. You are the only one. Eight billion people can't do it. You can. At that time, all of Israel could not accomplish the goal of beating Goliath. David could. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're sitting in this room right now and you're going, Pastor J.D., I, I don't even know what to be obedient to, let alone how to operate in obedience. Can I just say real quick, get a Bible. There is a Bible app on every person's smartphone that you can download and start reading today. When you leave here, if you still don't have access to a Bible, like let's say you don't have a phone, I have a black husky tote with full of Bibles back behind this room right here and I will happily get you one. But if you're in here and you're saying, I know that I need to be obedient. I just haven't started operating in obedience yet. I want to take some time to pray for you real quick. Father, I thank you for the hands that are in this room. I thank you for the voices that are in this room. I thank you for the feet that are in this room. I thank you that each one of us has been called and anointed and gifted to do something that only we can do. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the hope, that you would give us the foresight to see what needs to be done. Father, I pray for a wave of obedience in this household. I pray that we could be obedient to the calling that you have on us. And I pray that we would lay our lives down in your throne room and say, Father, take apart from me all things that I do not need and instead replenish me with everything that I do. I don't need the armor. I don't need the sword. I don't need the helmet. I need the anointing. Father, I pray right now that we would fall in line with that anointing and we could be obedient to what it is that you have called us to do. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and we thank you that through your sacrifice we now have access to the Holy Spirit at every moment. And today we choose to take this time to tell you that we love you, that we appreciate you, that we thank you for all that you have done for us and continually do through us. And we choose to love you today and be obedient to the calling that you have on our life. So we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys need anything today, the guest room is back there and available for you guys. Um, Yeah.